0: The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network.
1: Friends, the New
2: Testament talks a lot about demons. Are they still here today? It's time for the Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator Dr. Michael Brown, your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on the Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael Brown. Still coming your way live from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Everyone listening on radio and podcast, same friendly voice. Those watching on YouTube, Facebook, we are audio only. But our studio has phone lines back open. So even though I've got one subject I want to start the show with, talking about demons, talking about deliverance, talking about how this applies to us today, if you want to ask me a question about anything, It can be about demons, it can be about deliverance, it can be about anything in the Bible or any spiritual question you've had, it can be about political developments, any question of any kind, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884, and I'll get to as many questions as I can, and as promised, I'm going to try to answer a bunch more questions that have been posted on Facebook and Twitter to answer on the air this week. Uh, teaching at Randy Clark's Global Awakening Seminary, so students taking master's and doctoral level classes. We're focusing on revival and the Old Testament. So we've got seasoned leaders, we've got pastors, we've got counselors, we've got a wide range of people. So it's, it's a really enjoyable environment. Just uh, finish teaching an afternoon class and then fresh over to do radio. Okay, Mike Brown, why are you talking about Demons. Who wants to talk about demons? I actually wrote an article for the secular publication, Daily Wire, uh, some weeks back. Uh, I was doing a series for them, what the Bible really says about this, this. So we did one on what the Bible really says about demons. Why? Because it's a major subject in the Bible and one that we hardly talk about. Do you know that in the Gospels alone there are roughly 220. 220 references to demons, unclean spirits. 220 in the Gospels. And then the book of Acts has people being set free from demons, demons leaving people. Even the prominent case in in Acts the 16th chapter with the woman with the spirit of divination, Paul drives out and shakes the city. I mean, major things happen. And then Paul telling us in Ephesians 6.12 that we don't wrestle with, with flesh and blood, that that's not our battle, but with spiritual forces in heavenly places. And he lays out what that is. And then all the Bible says about the devil. So this, is a, this is an important subject. And I haven't taught about it in a long period of time. That's one thing. The second thing is that the subject of deliverance is coming up everywhere I turn. Dr. Brown, what's your view on this? Dr. Brown, what do you think about this? I heard about this ministry during deliverance. Someone will say, hey, I want you on my YouTube channel. I just want you to know I'm controversial because of deliverance. And okay, what's happening? What's going on? So I, I really felt clearly, I mean, it, 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 would, it didn't take the Holy Spirit knocking me over the head. It just, it was so clear. So many people wanted to talk about this. This is something that we need to address. And here's my big question. For those who say, ah, oh, deliverance, that's crazy. We don't talk about that. And All right, what happened to all the demons? Where did all the demons go? They clearly didn't disappear after the cross. Demonic activity certainly didn't cease after the cross. The devil didn't just retire after the cross. Demons are not just on a vacation. What happened to all the demons? If you've ever administered overseas, you'll often see people who are more visibly outwardly demonized. You'll be ministering, and next thing, some person starts to go wild, screaming and yelling or having some kind of fit, and, and, and it's, it's demonic, and this person is taken out uh, so it doesn't disrupt the meeting, and, and people minister, and the person's set free, and the next day you hear their testimony, and wow, that's wild. Why don't we see it more in America? Uh, it, it, let's, let's forget the question about demons and believers. Let's forget the question for the moment of, can a Christian be demon-possessed or demonized or come under the power of devils? Let, let's, let's put that aside for a moment, right? Let's just talk about in the world, people here in the gospel, people who are certainly under Satan's power, certainly demonized, if you want to call them demon-possessed or demonized. What about driving demons out of them? It Wasn't that part of the Great Commission? Wasn't that part of the, the early mission of the church? to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to set the captives free, to drive out demons. Where have all the demons gone? It's, it's my own belief. I can't give you a scripture for this. So this is just my own belief that in the days ahead, even in America and countries that would claim more sophistication, that we are going to see more open examples of demonized people. That, that the darkness will get so dark and the light shining in will get so bright that things that have been hidden, the things that have been more behind the scenes, the things that have been more subtle will be overt. You know, just like you had gay activists saying, hey, it's just about love and here's a loving couple. And, and, and Jane and Joan, they've been, they've been in a monogamous relationship for 20 years and, and they adopted a, a handicapped girl from Korea. And, you know, here they are on their front porch with the Labrador Retriever and they're really nice people and they're hardworking and they're devoted moms. I believe that's all true. I believe such couples exist. I don't think it's just a myth. I believe such couples do exist. And I've, I've talked to people like that. I believe their stories. no reason not to. Maybe that's your, your friend, your neighbor, your, your sister, and, and, her, and her, her partner. Could well be. But that face was the only face that was being presented. And the rest of the agenda, the rest of what comes with it, wasn't being presented. Well, now you've got drag queens shaking their hips with toddlers and, you know, at drag queen reading hour wearing satanic horns. Like, okay, it's more overt. It's more overt. By that same principle, I see these things happening where maybe it's a college professor who's had some radical anti God agenda and wants to remove age of consent for children and, you know, some s- sicko agenda. Maybe it's not just the words that will start to be more manifest and apparent, but the person's behavior, that something demonic is going on. Just something I expect to see. Like I said, I'm not, it's not a fundamental ten of the faith, it's not something I can give you chapter and verse for. just something I sense will, will come in the days ahead. It's not a prophecy, we, we shall see. But let me, let me just give you some, some representative scripture. And as the question of deliverance kept coming up to me, I thought, well, let me just do what I know to do Just talk about what Scripture says. In Matthew 4, as Jesus is ministering, uh, 4.24, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So this is just part of those that were brought and were set free. Uh, Matthew 8.16, that evening, they brought to many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. When he sends out his disciples in Matthew 10, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Um, Jesus says this about himself, Matthew 12. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom your sons cast them out, therefore they will be your judges. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he's saying, you are falsely accusing me of driving out demons by Satan himself. And he's saying, if, if, if that's the case, then as, as your own spiritual sons or physical sons are driving out demons, whose power are they using? And he says, hey, if I'm doing it by the spirit, then the kingdom has come to you. Then the, this, this is, Think of it like this. When the light shines, the darkness is dispelled. Have, have you ever flipped a light on in some old house and, and you flip the light on and all of a sudden all the bugs, the roaches go running? They were at home in the darkness with the light, they run. It's the same way with, with, with demons. When, when the kingdom power comes, they are, they are exposed and they are driven out. And it is a sign of the advance of the kingdom when the sick are healed in Jesus' name and demons are driven out in Jesus' name. Mark 1.39 And he went out throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. That's a summary of his his ministry, preaching and casting out demons. Think of that. How many of us today have that as a summary of our ministry? Mark 3, uh, uh, having authority to cast out demons. Uh, Mark, the sixth chapter, when he sends his disciples out, it says, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. I mean, it's just, it's just on and on through the Gospels. The longer ending of Mark, for those that accept this as authoritative words of Jesus, these signs will accompany those who believe. What's the very first thing? In my name, they will cast out demons. Luke 4, demons also come out of many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them, would not allow them to speak. Uh, it, on and on and on it goes in the Gospels. Uh, he gives his disciples authority over demons and disease. Uh, Luke 9, 1, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So you see also that disease is some negative thing that's associated with demons. It doesn't mean that you're in sin if you're sick. It could be the very godliest person listening to me right now. The person closest to Jesus right now is very sick. And someone far away from God is perfectly healthy. But the whole domain of sickness is a demonic thing. In other words, it's it's part of the fall. It's a negative. It's destructive. We won't have that uh, in eternity. Uh, You get into the book of Acts, like I said. You've got demons leaving, unclean spirits leaving. Acts 8 in Samaria, that's what happens in the ministry there. This is part of the ministry of the gospel. Preaching the gospel, setting captives free. Peter, in Acts 10, 38, summarizes the ministry of Jesus by saying this, that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So every healing is, in a sense, a deliverance because it's deliverance from the power of sickness. Every deliverance, in in a sense, is a healing because it's making someone whole who is under demonic power. Paul writes, 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. These are things that are ongoing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 that what pagans sacrifice to the gods, they offer to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to be participant with demons. So if you participate in this idolatrous practice, even not overtly and intentionally, but by joining in what they're, with what they're doing, their food, their drink, and things like that, that, that you are now participating with demons. So demons still a reality. They haven't, they haven't disappeared. And, and look at this. Jesus, go back to his words. Luke 13, 32, after he's told by some Pharisees that Herod wants to kill him. He says, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and prefer, perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I finish my course. This is, this is how he describes what he's going to be doing, casting out demons and performing cures. Where have all the demons gone? What has happened to people being demonized? What's our role? How does this fit with the church today? I just want to plant these seeds. I want to get you thinking. We'll talk more. Phone lines are open. 866-348-7884. We'll be right back.
2: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. By the way, if you are a torchbearer, a monthly supporter, you can listen for free to my 12-hour teaching from probably the late 80s, early 90s on spiritual warfare, so eight 90-minute sessions, and then... My 12-hour teaching, so eight 90-minute sessions on angels, demons, and deliverance. So you can always order these, download them if you're not a torchbearer, but if you're a monthly supporter, that's one of the perks. You get to listen to them free. So just check in with your perks and what you're able to do. You'll see it on the website, exclusive for you, and you'll enjoy those. In-depth teaching I did, it's the most in-depth I did it years back. So just like writing a book, we said, okay, great, here it is. Let's use it, and that's what we've used over the years. 866 348-7884. To become a torchbearer, to join our support team, it's a dollar a day or more per month. So $30 or more per month. Money well spent. You will reap eternal rewards. You will help us reach Jewish people with the good news of the Messiah. You will help us stand as a voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity in America and around the world. You will be directly involved with supporting missionaries on the front lines doing amazing work. You will help us to talk to more and more people every single day. And... Every month, we pour back into you. You get a new audio message every month. You get access to, to many, many hours and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of free material. If you come to Israel, you get $300 off the ticket price. You get 15% off any online orders that you make and on and on. So we, we do our best to pour back into you in a way that's, that's far more rewarding than even what you're able to give out. It's our joy to do that. So to join our support team, go to askdrbrown.org, Ask drbrown.org. Click on Donate and Monthly Support. Okay. <clears throat> let's go to let's go to the phones, and I'm going to go back online in a moment. We will start in New York with Reed, and our broadcast team will bring you on, because I'm remote right now. Uh, Reed in New York, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks for joining us.
3: Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Uh, I want to do a two-part commentary. The first part is hopefully an encouragement for anyone who's listening out there. Thirty years ago, I was delivered. I mean, 30 years ago, I was saved from a homosexual lifestyle, and I was in my early 20s. But shortly after that, I had no one to explain to me how to repent properly. I had no one in the church to guide me through the process. So I backslid back into the gay lifestyle for 25 years. Mm. And uh, all that time, I was demonically oppressed. And approximately 10 years ago, the Lord brought me back to the Bible, back into church, and through the process, I learned that I was dealing with a generational curse. No one had ever explained this to me. It was purely through the Holy Spirit that I learned this. Now... Five years ago, exactly this week, I was delivered from homosexual desires. That was through a uh, a healing service that I went to. When I explained to the lady who was uh, in charge of the prayer group, she told me that I was dealing with a generational curse. At that time, they prayed for me. It made complete sense to me. And then I was delivered right after that. So, that being said, I just want to give that as an encouragement to anyone yeah. who might be dealing with same-sex desires, thinking that there's no way that they can get through this, because it was a process, process that was not explained to me.
1: Mm. R- we, I think let, there's yeah, a let, of- let, me, let me just ask you this, Reed, and that's, that's just uh, incredible to hear, the mercy, the goodness, the power of God. And it's a question I always ask, you know, why is it that we think Jesus can change us from anything, but not same-sex attraction? I mean, that's, that's such a denial of the power of God and such a fa- failure to realize that as human beings, we're complex. And there can be many right. different reasons that things are, are happening in our lives and do happen, and, and freedom and deliverance can come in, in many different ways. So when you say that you received a, a healing on the inside, in, in your thinking, was it directly related to same-sex attraction, or was it just one thing had triggered something else that didn't even seem connected?
3: Well, I don't want to get into the story because it would take too long, but right, I, I had an encounter with the, the, a person who sexually assaulted me when I was 14. I had an encounter with him 10 years ago, and that's what started. The, that was a catalyst and started the process of me beginning to heal, and the Lord was putting the pieces back together. So I was already going through uh, therapy, at the time, so I was already, you know, this was already in me, I was dealing with this internally, so uh, it was just a natural progress, a process of the Lord showing me um, through the Bible, you know, it it was totally a a prodigal experience, but um, I really... it was just a lack of understanding, really. And the church didn't help me because the church is still stuck in the past with dealing with these same-sex issues. Right yeah, now, I'm trying to start a ministry within my church now, and it's very difficult because people are still afraid to talk about the issue. And this is why you have drag queens in the pulpit. This yeah. is why you have drag queens, you know, doing story time, because people are afraid to deal with it.
1: Yeah, Reed, um, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to jump in. And first, thank you for calling and sharing that. Pastors, leaders, please hear what our brother is saying. I, I was talking to a leading pastor about this yesterday. and said, how many pastors are willing to address this on a Sunday morning in front of their whole church? I'm thinking, I would thank everybody because it's this is where people are living. The kids are being exposed to this. It's just an overwhelming generational attack and and gender identity confusion and all this young people are overwhelmingly dealing with this and identifying with their gay and, and bi friends and so on and saying, yeah, I'm bi too, and, and yeah, I, I'm you know gender confused and so on and so forth. And, and teachers are teaching this and indoctrinating kids from preschool on. And they're, they're getting bombarded with it social media and TikTok and on and on, let alone movies and TV and the influence. And for, for pastors to not talk about this is negligent. You say- Well, also and, and, yeah, I think- yeah, also ahead. I
3: think that there's a there's a, a as you mentioned previously in the beginning of the, of the broadcast I think people are discrediting or 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 uh dismissing the spiritual supernatural element to it because right. I was dealing with a, a generational curse and as soon as I was as soon as I was released from that my desires went away now yeah. I can't say everybody has had the same experience as me
1: but, but I do believe you.
3: that there's supernatural element
1: right it, it happened to you and Reed. I, I know so many people and thank you sir thank you very much uh, for the call uh, i i i've dealt with and talked with so many people that have come out of homosexuality and some had a miraculous healing something worked emotional healing some got set free from demonic oppression some went through years of counseling to dig deep and understand roots some saw complete reversal went from homosexual to heterosexual. Some saw a lessening in same-sex attraction and were attracted to their spouse and got married and have a happy marriage and just resist temptation. Others said, I haven't had the, the, the desires go away, but they're wrong and I say no to them. God can work in many, many different ways, but these, these are all real and, again, the supernatural part. It's not, it's way away the gate, say a little prayer, but don't discount what God can do and, and, and how he works. And again, how multifaceted we are as human beings. And because of that, God may do something that touches one thing in us that brings results in another area. Hey, again, thank you for sharing that. Pastors, leaders to say, I don't know what to say. We'll help you. We've got material. We can point you to resources. And everybody, if you haven't watched In His Image yet, watch it. Show it to your churches, pastors, In His Image. You can watch it on YouTube. It's about an hour, 40 minutes long. I hosted it for American Family Studios. In His Image, you go to In His Image, the movie. Show it to your whole church. And then if there's bunches of questions, those involved with the movie, different ones will come in and speak at your church and answer the questions. All right, uh, let us go over to Lisa in Morgan Hill, California. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Are you there, Lisa? All right, not sure what happened. Maybe we can come back to Lisa. Uh, Let's go to Shannon in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Shannon, welcome to the Line of Fire.
4: Hey, good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. So my question, of course, you know, is, is uh, regarding drug, drug addiction and uh, demonic oppression. And, you know, reading in Scripture, there were so many times that Jesus would heal um, even without um, the, the, the person there, you know, even the daughter being healed or, you know, or or the son being healed. So, you know, in, in encountering drug addiction and um, someone that is oppressed by that demonic, it's very scary. It's very real. You know, there's been so much prayer of just, you know, Lord, will you just deliver this person from this? Will you just take it from Will you, and I think even just unsure of, you know, what is that prayer? What, what does that prayer look like? I know that you know, drug addiction, is, it's, it's very dark. It's very um, scary. And when you're in that situation, you can actually just r- realize that you're encountering a demon um, mm-hmm. with that person. And yeah, so, so yeah, what so does t- that parent look like?
1: Yeah, we've got a break coming up. So going to come back on the other side of the break and go straight to answering your question. If we're talking about someone under demonic influence who is drug addicted, How might that person be set free? Or is it wrong to make an assumption there's a connection between drug addiction and demonic power? How do these things work? Or can someone be a drug addict and bound, needing freedom, but it's a different type of freedom. It's a physical or a mental addiction. How does that interface with the spiritual realm? We'll do our best to cover all those questions. We come back on the other side of the break. You can call 866 348 Seven eight eight four. We'll be right back.
0: It's you
2: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. number to call 866-348-7884. Any questions, comments on any relevant subject, as we're pleased to have our phone lines back online, 866-34-TRUTH. I want to remind you about a couple of important things in a moment, but first, back to Shannon's question about people needing deliverance from drugs. Not everything is a demon. Not all sickness is a demon, not all sinful bondages are a demon, meaning it is not in every case that someone needs to be set free from demons. When God saved me, I had lived the most sinful life I knew how to live, and my friends and I just opened up ourselves to every kind of demonic influence, and and played around with darkness and abused our bodies with drugs and our minds got all kinds caught up in all kinds of crazy stuff. Yet, we got saved, we got saved. None of us went through a deliverance of you know, demons being cast out of us. Uh, God set me free, he brought me to deep repentance and then I was instantly free from drugs. Others they go through the same repentance, but now get in a program like Teen Challenge because they have to break bad habits and they have to unlearn wrong ways of doing things and, and it may take time to get a freedom from certain addictions and, and so on. So it's not specifically that it was a demon that, that left as, as much as a lifestyle change. However, if you realize that this person is crying out and doing everything they know how to do to be free, and is still enslaved, and there's oppression with it. There's something pulling them back. Then God can give us discernment. One of the gifts of the Spirit is discernment of spirits, right? And we can tell what is the Holy Spirit versus what are demonic spirits, or what are angelic spirits versus demonic spirits. So there may be that clear sense this person needs deliverance. And to me, it's not a specific type of prayer or the words that are said. As much as us using our authority in Jesus— and saying, get out, leave. I'm not concerned whether the demon is in the person's mind or in their body or surrounding them. They, they are in that person's territory, and they don't belong there. And therefore, for me, the prayer is, get out in Jesus' name. It is that simple. And if you don't see an instant result and you know that you are in a battle, then you keep persevering until the breakthrough comes. Uh, uh, all right, yeah, tell you what, I'm, I'm going to go back to Lisa in a moment. We reconnected there. So I'll get back to Lisa in, in one moment. But I remember coming in to the, the pastor's office where we would, we would sit and talk before the services at Brownsville. And there was a woman laying on, on the floor, and Steve Hill was, was driving demons out of her. And I just walked in. This was going on. And this woman had the uh, deepest male voice I'd ever heard. I'm not coming out. I am not. I'm the last one, and I'm not coming out. And she Steve said, you will leave in Jesus' name. And then finally, she like shook. And next thing, Steve, I'm so embarrassed about what happened. It's like, whoa, that was her real voice. And it, it was really a demon speaking through her. And it was quite dramatic. Well, this woman had been in a line of witches. In other words, generationally. Uh, several generations of witches. She lived in a community with a lot of witches and was, was really demonized when she got saved at Brownsville and set free. Uh, after she was got, got her feet down but was still pretty new in the Lord, she was uh, wrongly counseled, like, oh, yeah, it's fine if you go back to that old environment. You know, you'll be all right there. Well, she wasn't ready for it, and it wasn't wise. And next thing, she came under tremendous demonic power again, and showed up and she had these like not tattoos but like kind of writing on her arms and different weird stuff and anyway <clears throat> she was she was in bad shape and Steve ministered to her and she was set free it, it was absolutely quite dramatic as it happened uh, but you know this is this is spiritual reality these things are real and uh, let me say this you you do not you do not base doctrine on experience it's really important when it comes to demonic things, stuff gets weird really fast. Uh, I'm talking about extremes and weird teachings and weird practices. And the key thing is that you cannot base your doctrine on experience because it may just be something that happens one time, or it may be that, that demonic spirits are really trying to get us to, to go on tangents and get our eyes off the fundamentals of the gospel. That being said, I am convinced scripturally that we should be seeing much more deliverance inside the church and outside. Again, whether people are demon-possessed or demon-oppressed, what level of demonization, that's not even my issue here. But clearly, people are bound and need to be set free. And I believe through the ministry of the gospel that we should be seeing this. You say, well, it just happens through preaching. Well, why didn't it just happen when Jesus preached? Why well, did would say he preached and drove out demons. Why didn't it just happen when Paul or Philip preached? Why did they also drive out demons? Why around the world as the gospel is going forward, it's not just preaching, but now that's stirring things up and bringing stuff to the surface, and people are being set free from demons. I believe we should be seeing it more, but we must keep our focus where it belongs: on Jesus, not on demons, on the Word of God, not manifestations, on on sound scriptural principles and practices, rather than basing a theology on what we see happening with demons. So it's important, but it's sober, and it's not something to play with. All right, we will go back to the phones. Lisa in Morgan Hill, California, welcome to the Line of Fire.
5: Hi, Dr. Brown. Um, I'm actually um, calling for a a unique situation because I'm a missionary in Berlin, Germany, and uh, I think it's a bit different there. And I have a lot of friends who have homosexual friends that they want to bring to church, but they are hesitant because they feel like a lot of times what's said from the front just puts people off. And these are people who've never heard the gospel. They really have no exposure to church. You know, it's, it's like less than 1% Christian in Berlin. And my question is, at what point... Um, you know, do we do we even have to say anything about homosexuality, or do we allow the Holy Spirit to convict people? Because I have heard stories where pastors felt pressured to say something from their um, their 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 members. Hey, when are you going to confront this couple? And actually, God convicted them and and brought healing in a very unique way. So I guess. I, I guess it's, it's just not cut and dried, is it, in every situation? And what would, you, what would be some of your thoughts on that?
1: Yes, thank you for the questions. Number one, don't put homosexual practice in a separate category or a special category. It is a sinful practice like many other sinful practices. Mm-hmm. The issue to me is not the practice as much as the agenda. The reason okay. that we're addressing things more from the pulpit is because kids are encountering this in school and yeah. parents are encountering this in the workplace and there's, there's a bombardment. So it's the agenda. The, the principle that I've operated on for 18 years now, as the Holy Spirit spoke it to me, was reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion. Resist yeah. the agenda with courage. So if I am going to say something from the pulpit, uh, and if I was a local pastor, and I'm, I want to talk about, let's say there is a ballot about, uh, we could vote about the meaning and definition of marriage, Right. And I'm encouraging our people to do it, laying out what the Bible says. I always want to be thinking, there's a 15-year-old kid in the front row, suicidal, raised in a Christian home, thinks the church hates him, thinks God hates him because he has same-sex attraction. He showed up this morning wondering, is there any hope for me? So I always want to have that person in mind or the grandparent whose grandchild has come out as trans and they're agonizing how to handle that. So whatever we say... We want someone that just walks in off the street to know, hey, they care about us. They love us. Now, here's the other thing. Let's say there's somebody, their big issue is they're really immoral. They go on all kinds of one-night stands. Or someone else has a heavy porn addiction. Someone else is an alcoholic. You know, there's all kinds of sins in people's lives. We don't, every night, read through a list of all sins. Uh, we, we rely on the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. So if someone coming into a church service, it may be— that there's a message call to re- calling us to repent from sin, without mentioning what each sin is, and the Holy Spirit's convicting. It could be that on a particular night you're led to speak on a subject for the very reason that someone's coming in the door who's struggling with that or who's justifying it. Um, you know, I remember a uh, a prophetic brother telling a story of, of a, a guy that was in the front row. He was he was preaching, and this guy was in the front row. And he knew he was a hypocrite. He knew the man was living in sin. He had this big Bible with him and he was in this nice suit and he was looking so righteous and saying amen when the guy was preaching. And the guy preaching knew that he was living in, in secret sexual sin and that he was a hypocrite, just knew by the Spirit. So he kept giving opportunity for the man to yeah. repent uh, you know, during the service, preaching in a certain way that, that he should know that the Holy Spirit's revealing his sin and he kept putting on his show And finally, the Lord gave this prophet a a word of knowledge and said, if you don't want the people to know what you did in hotels, such and such rooms, such and such last night, you need to get right with God. And the fear of the Lord came on him, and he did. I know uh, another pastor told me a story of a gay guy came into the church to visit. Nobody knew who he was, but all these prophetic words came forth about the Father's love and about other issues that exposed great needs in his life, and he, weeping, received the Lord that day. So... We, don't, we can't avoid talking about an issue that is affecting our society in profound ways and having a massive impact on the younger generation. Uh, yeah. The most recent Gallup survey from 2021 said that my generation, the baby boomers, 2.8% of us, uh, or 2.6, 2.8, identified as someone on the LGBTQ scale. The generation older than me, traditionalists, it was under 1%. Gen Z from 18 to like 23 years old, it was 21% identified as someone on the spectrum. George Barnard did the same poll, it was 40%. So you've got these devastatingly high numbers and it's just just undeniable that people are being impacted and we are being negligent as pastors if we don't help, but we always have to be thinking. It's a very sensitive issue. People can feel rejected, come under condemnation. So last thing, You've got a couple in the church, and they, they are coming, uh, overtly gay couple, right? Uh, two ladies clearly you know, holding hands and and they've got you know, wedding rings on, uh, but they're coming in as lost people. You deal, let the Holy Spirit work on them like anybody else, right? Like mm-hmm. the, you know, the, yeah. per, the drunkard, the person that's sleeping around, whatever. If they claim to be members, they claim to be followers of Jesus and are members of the church— Of course, they have to be confronted, like anybody else would be. Guy leaves his wife, moves in with somebody else, is still going to the church, taking communion, telling people how much he loves Jesus. He must be called to repent, and if he won't repent, or if they wouldn't repent, then they have to be disciplined and put out, which is God's love to help bring them to repentance. All right, thank you for the question. Uh, We got time for a few more calls on the other side of the break. Stay right here.
2: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thanks for joining us on The Line of Fire. Before I go back to the calls, uh, I, I, when I write, I so want people to read what I write. In other words, I feel it's important. I feel this will help. I know it's answering questions. That's why I write. That's why I spend so many hours writing books and writing articles so I'm on the air because I, I want to be here to help you. I want to be here to infuse you with, with faith and truth and courage and, and strengthen your hands for the, for the work that God's given you to do. So I'll write an article, and, and then a month later, someone will ask me about that very subject. It's like, oh, I wrote about that four times. I wrote this article and three before it. I guess you didn't know. Well, there's a lot going on. How are you going to know everything I write? Easy. Easy. You lift a finger one time. That's what you do. Go to my website. askdrbrown.org. Go there and sign up for our emails. That's it. You just did it. You just guaranteed that you won't miss my articles. You won't miss our latest videos. Every week, we'll send you an email with a short synopsis of all the articles. Click on whatever you're interested in. Every week, a short synopsis of latest videos that we've put out. I've got a brand new video, say, Refuting a Counter-Missionary Rabbi. There it is. You just got to notice about it. So make sure you sign up for the emails. Do it at askdrbrown.org. We have all kinds of special surprises and a neat welcome tour we put you in as well. But make sure you sign up, askdrbrown.org. It'll take you 30 seconds or less. Put in your, your name, your email address, your physical address if you want us to have it, and go for it. Let us pour into you as best as we can. All right, uh, let's go to Minneapolis, Minnesota, Rafi. You are on the line of fire. Thanks so much for calling.
3: Sure. Um,
1: Are you there? Mm -hmm. Yep, I'm here. Yeah, Um, go ahead, please. I just want to make sure the echo was out.
3: The main question is, why are, in your opinion, are not more pastors doing
1: deliverance? And um, I've had an encounter with deliverance if we have time that I'd I'd like to share. But uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts and why are more especially yeah. charismatic Pentecostal pastors not doing it. Yeah, thank you for the question. And, and I would love to hear more about your experience, but I, I just with time being short, it's probably gonna be best if I just answer the question uh, so I can get to, to some more questions as well. But in, in short, sir, I believe in most cases in our Charismatic Pentecostal services, that it's out of sight, out of mind, and that we have structured our services in such a way that we don't really have a lot of room for the moving of the Holy Spirit outside of a a programmed time. Now, I understand that churches may have multiple services— that Sunday morning may not be the time where they can just have extended worship, that they'll do it in home groups, they'll do it in worship nights and things like that, or have, have times for, or, you know, where they just have more liberty in the spirit to move. So I'm, I'm not saying that in, in a, just in a critical way, but many times intentionally we have structured out the spontaneous moving of the spirit or we're not looking for it or the gifts are not being practiced and exercised the way that they ought to be. You know, people say it's a charismatic form of worship, meaning we sing certain songs and raise our hands. So I don't want a charismatic form. I want the charismatic power of the Spirit. So that's one thing. The structure of our services, the mindset is, is not conducive to it. The other, And it doesn't have to be Sunday morning. Let it be some other time where people come for special prayer. The other thing is, like I said, it's out of sight, out of mind that I could do pastoral ministry. And I'm preaching and teaching and building up the flock and working on getting healthy marriages and getting kids grounded in the word and, and, and making sure that, that you know, single folks are getting support systems and, and elderly are cared for and we're doing community outreach and just not even thinking about it. And it's not until the need arises. It's not until you realize all of our counseling is not helping this person. Something deeper is going on. Or, you know, the behavior is just crazy and what in the world is happening? And there doesn't seem to be a psychological or emotional or physical reason. Then you start to realize something's happening. You probe more deeply and you realize that some of the congregation have been struggling with the same issues for years and years and years. And when they get set free, they're they're free. So a lot of times it's just, it's not on our horizon. It's not on our radar. We're not thinking about it. We're not looking for it. And because of that, it's not happening. And then when it does start to happen, uh, sometimes it's very controversial, and and sometimes people go to extremes, and then people react against that, or, hey, this is just too messy. But certainly, sir, it it should be something that we're seeing more in our ministry on the streets to the lost, and in our ministry to those within the the four walls of our church community that, that need to be set free from demonic power and influence. So again, we're not debating whether a believer can be demon-possessed. We're saying, can a believer come under demonic power from which they need to be set free? And I would say it shouldn't happen because of everything we have in God, but it can happen through our negligence or sin or demonic attack. Hey, thank you, sir, for the question. And I do hope to to talk more about this in the months ahead, as it is something, as I said, that, that I believe the Holy Spirit is drawing back to our attention. All right, we'll we'll shift gears here, and we'll go over to Billy in Georgia. Welcome, sir, to the line of fire.
3: Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Hey. Thank you for taking my call.
1: Yes, go ahead. I have
3: a question regarding the uh, Hebrew translation of the Gospels. Okay. And I think um, specifically uh, the Sephardic Gospels, do you think
1: Right, you cut out there you said specifically something and I, I missed it. Uh,
3: okay it's the uh, Sephardic Hebrew Gospels
1: the Sephardic uh, Hebrew there's, okay
3: uh, there is a website for it it's called Hebrew Gospels right right and, yeah, yeah. and I just want to know what you think about it.
1: Oh, okay so th- there's there's a lot to say about uh, about Hebrew gospel. Number one, it does seem evident that uh, in the early church that there were some things that circulated. It, it could be a—all a, um, uh, right, so it's Catalonia. That's, that's how I normally—you you mentioned Sephardic, right, which is perfectly fine, but I, I normally hear in, in terms of, of Catalonia or from so, some Sephardic. Okay, all clear, all clear. So we do not have a copy of any original Hebrew gospel. It does not exist. We do not have early textual evidence, like we have thousands of early Greek manuscripts. We do not have early Hebrew manuscripts in the New Testament. However, there is attestation from several different church witnesses of either a Hebrew version of, gospel, of, of Matthew or a collection of the sayings of Jesus in Hebrew, some would argue Aramaic, that, that Matthew put together, uh, but we do not have it. In other words... If there was an original Hebrew collection of the sayings of Jesus, or an original gospel that Matthew wrote may be different than the current one, that was in Hebrew, we don't have it. There were early witnesses that attest to seeing these things, even up, up through Jerome in the fourth century, but we actually do not have any extant copies of anything. So what do we have? We have, over the centuries, so a 1,000 years later, 1,200 years later, after the New Testament, we have these documents that according to everything that we understood, these were translations from the Greek into Hebrew. So they're not a Hebrew original. When someone says this is from the original Hebrew gospel, no such thing exists, no such manuscript exists anywhere. It's a myth. However, there are these later Hebrew additions which have historically been understood as translations from the New Testament Greek into Hebrew. But some scholars in recent decades have said, yeah, but this doesn't just look like a translation. It looks like it preserves a, a different wording, or it looks like it's written in such a way that it's not the way you do translation. It seems to have evidences of being an original. The one that's popularized this theory the most is, is the Karaite scholar Nehemiah Gordon, and he's a legitimate Hebrew scholar, so we, we would differ on a number of points, but what he and others have argued is that the Hebrew Gospels that we have although they are not, quote, the original, that they reflect aspects of an original Hebrew gospel. With all respect to his scholarship and the scholarship of others who've looked at that, I'm very, very skeptical of it for quite a few reasons. And I see no evidence that a tradition was being preserved through the centuries in writing or orally that now, (laughs) excuse me, undergirded these translations. So they are translations from the Greek. I do not understand them to be original Hebrew manuscripts somehow uh, passed on or or a tradition that, that passed them on or recovered things over the centuries. Again, I know scholars have answers for this, but I'm very skeptical. For sure, though, for sure, what God did give us was multiple thousands of Greek New Testament manuscripts. And under any argument, the vast majority of the New Testament was originally written in Greek, not in Hebrew or Aramaic. That's self-evident as well. So when someone says this is a translation based on the original Hebrew gospel, that does not exist. These are sources that should be handled in a very careful way, in a secondary way, that may give us some interesting insights and may possibly, here and there, preserve an ancient reading that we do have. I, I'm per, I would love to see one day one of these ancient manuscripts discovered, or were a copy of a copy of a copy of one of these ancient manuscripts. I just don't think it's anything that we have today. And if it turns out that there is more evidence, that would be wonderful. Let, let us have whatever we can uh, of, of things that go back to the apostolic age. I just don't believe that, that this is part of it. Again, it's a scholarly discussion, but that's my view. There is no original Hebrew gospel that anyone can quote from today, but maybe some things can be reconstructed from some of these. That's the argument. I'm skeptical about it. All right, friends, back with you for thoroughly Jewish Thursday tomorrow.
0: Another program powered by the Truth Network.